I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Narigu people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Well, I've always loved growing things. I love watching things grow. The thing about a vineyard is that you can, you know, every single plant out there I've planted myself and I've watched them go through every year. No year is the same. It doesn't matter what what it is. There's always a challenge for you. This is the Over the Glass podcast. I'm Shante Whale. Kurabira wines lie in the Tumbarumba wine region, located at the foothills of the Snowy Mountains of New South Wales. Tumbarumba's alpine climate is one of Australia's coolest, Although considered a high-risk region for viticulture, it also has some of the greatest rewards. With over 20 years of vintage experience, today we are joined by Kathy Garen, Director of Kurabira Wines. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, hi, Shantae. How, how are you going? I'm really well. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. How's everything looking over at the cellar door in Tumbarumba? Oh, it's beautiful. The weather is amazing right now and it's been really sunny, beautiful days and the gardens are great. It's really terrific. Now, Kathy, you grew up with no less than 10 siblings. What is it like growing up in a household of that many people? And did your parents ever call you the wrong name by mistake? <laughs> well, I probably got called lots of things. I don't know whether it was uh, the wrong name, probably quite appropriate at the time. But um, look, I didn't know any different. We grew up with 10 siblings, every single neighbourhood friend was always at our place. So we just, it was just chaos all the time, but always lots of fun. So no, I, um, I don't know. I think it'd be pretty lonely growing up as an only child or only one sibling. <laughs> it's very true. We always think the grass is greener, but uh, pretty amazing to have so much happening in a household. And I, I suppose you, yeah, you were never lonely. No, we weren't. It was the boys against the girls all the time. And, um, you know, the girls usually won. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, you've always had an interest in horticulture, not necessarily in grapes, but can you tell me a little bit about the story of how Kurabara wines came to be? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, my background is uh, horticulture and I was, you know, studying down in Burnley in Victoria. We came to Tumbarumba on a holiday for an overnight stop uh, going up to Newcastle and the weather was rainy up there. So we turned around and came back to Tumbarumba, my husband and myself. And we just decided we loved it here. We spent 10 days of our holiday, went home to Melbourne and then quit our jobs and moved up. We rented a little property across the road from where we are now. It was $40 a week on 550 acres. So it was pretty, pretty cruisy. You know, Tumba used to shut down for lunch for two hours. So everything was pretty laid back. Um, and we, so we went into cut flowers, which was my background. And we did commercial strawberry growing for, um, about nine years and then we were approached by the DPI or Agricultural Department back then to go to a seminar with South Corp um, and so eight people went along, seven men and myself and that was the beginning of it all I suppose. We all walked out of there saying we want to grow grapes. Wow and being the only female at that time as well, I mean did did you know a lot about grape growing or you just decided to give it a go? They said that, that it's an appropriate area and you all said, okay. Well, I had at least one unit on my degree in viticulture, but I thought it was the most boring subject there was. So um, I, it wasn't something I thought would be fantastic, but I just thought I'll give it a go. We'll start off small and see how it is. But absolutely fell in love with it. The challenges were amazing, you know, and we, we had a hell of a lot of support through the industry as it was an emerging region at the time. Um, so the, all of the huge big wine companies got behind us, lots of the DPI and um, 
Department of Agriculture back then all gave us a hand. We had experts from every part of Australia come across and show us what to do. So, yeah, we were pretty blessed, actually, the whole region. Wow. And is that, I mean, sparkling wine is um, a real feature of Kuribara. How did kind of the sparkling component come into fruition? Well, being the only female out of the seven blokes, they all went signed a contract with South Corp and I ended up taking the contract with Hardy Wine Company back there. One, because I liked the winemaker better. I thought he was much better looking and so that's that's how I made my choice but um and that was a sparkling wine contract for 22 years so that's how we started and what we did but never looked back the you know Hardy Wine Company were amazing and uh they so was Southport back then to the growers so it was great and I mean sparkling wine is is really a winemaker's wine um and everything you do is, is traditional method is that correct Yes, it is. Yes, all traditional method. Yeah, and you have some reserve releases that you that you have as well in your portfolio. Yes, we do. And the first one that we did was by default. Let me tell you that because we had hit by frost, we couldn't release the vintage from four years previous or three years previous because we had no money after losing the crop. So it just sat there. And then when we finally decided to disgorge it, um, I thought, oh gosh, what's going to happen now? And we just got, and that's when we started winning all these huge awards, and <laughs> it was it was a bit of a mistake. But anyway, you always learn from them. So it was um, what made us then start doing three years, five years, and an eight year disgorgement on our wines because they just get better with age. Wow, happy happy coincidence. That, that's very lucky. But I'm sure many of the greatest you know wines in the world probably happen in, in a similar way. Um, Tumba Rumba region lies halfway between Melbourne and Sydney. What do you think makes the region unique and what styles of wine are best suited there other than sparkling? Well, the uniqueness, I think, comes from individual sites as well where, you know, high altitudes, we're um, very mountainous, we've got very different soils, granites, um, basalts and shales around the region. We've got abundant water, so, you know, that's never an issue. And I think uh, we've got very cool nights and warm days during the summertime. So in the summer, even though it can be quite a warm day, we get quite low temperatures at night. So the vines get to rest, which is what, just like you and I, we like to sleep on a cooler night. And um, that's what they like to do. So when they shut down of a night time, they recover and ready for the next day. And that's what actually gives them really good, clean, crisp flavours. The, you know, the air is pure. The grounds are mostly granitic and high water. So, no, that's a very good um, growing you know, I suppose it's um, conditions for the vines. And also every vineyard's very different. We're all in different pockets of all around around the region. We might be similar in altitude, but we'll have different aspects. We'll have, um, yeah, different sometimes the storms come through on one vineyard and miss the others. And, you know, so it's a, quite a challenging region. Uh, also frost is the biggest probably challenge, but um, when you get there, the rewards are very high. Yeah, absolutely. In the past, you've spoken to me about Tumbarumba being known, like you said, for great growing rather than winemaking itself. And in, in the time that you've been there, you've seen a shift in that perspective. What do you think the future hold for, holds for the region now? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, Chardonnay is probably the, the biggest grape variety in the region. It's also known across, especially New South Wales, as being a very high-quality region for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. I think that's only going to continue. We're, a few vineyards are going into a few boutique wines for their own brands, which is fantastic. 
But whites do very well here because um, even though we have good sunshine, we very rarely get sunburn because um, of, of the altitude and the aspects and the way we grow canopies. So we're pretty blessed like that. But, um, but the future, I think, especially as, you know, the climate change is getting a little bit warmer, we're able to probably grow a few other varieties that we couldn't have done maybe 30 years ago. So things like Tempranillo and Gamo that are becoming quite popular in the region. So those varieties possibly wouldn't have been grown back then or we didn't know about them. I'm not too quite sure what the answer is there. But, yeah, certainly um, gives us a chance to grow a few experimental ones. Yeah, I mean, Gamay and Tempranillo sounds like just so exciting. Um, 2021 was a pretty tragic year with the bushfires and I know that you lost one third of your vineyards. I know it's hard to talk about, but what was it like to go through such a kind of devastating experience like that? And and how have you kind of moved forward and, and looked to the future now? Um, well, it's 2020. So we lost 2021 as well, but 2020 was the fires. Uh, and, you know, that was with the full ride off. And, you know, that was across many places across New South Wales. So we weren't on our own. Recovering from the fires, we were fortunate enough that the vines have recovered. Uh, but 2021, there wasn't much fruit because all the buds were still with cane prune. So they need to have fruit off the second year wood. And when they didn't have that, when that was burnt off, so 2021 was quite light as well. But now this year is looking amazing. Um, We've got plenty of flowers sitting out there at the moment, so we're looking for a very exciting 2022 vintage. But, you know, support from people has really made us get through. Our customers, everybody around have been amazing. Um, So it does give you, you know, a bit of faith and a bit of hope that there's um, a silver lining on the other side. And our sales have been fantastic. At the support has been amazing. Wow, that's really great to hear. Um, you really seem like someone that always sees the glass uh, half full. Uh, why do you love what you do? I mean, when it can get so hard and you have you can occasionally risk it all with something like Mother Nature's Mercy. Why do you love what you do and why do you continue to do it? Well, I've always loved growing things. I love watching things grow. The thing about a vineyard is that you can, you know, every single plant out there I've planted myself and I've watched them go through every year. No year is the same. It doesn't matter what what it is. There's always a challenge for you. So that's just me in general. Um, uh, I'm used to probably making decisions quickly uh, and I think you have to be adaptable and also you have to give in to nature. There's just things I know initially when we started growing, it used to just break my heart if something went wrong and I couldn't even walk outside some days when, we've, um, when we'd lost a crop. But now I just know that there's something else that's going to, you know, make us change and that was going into wine and then going into the restaurant to sort of supplement the income and and all of them have been very successful. So I just believe you've got to, well, you've got to love what you do and that's what I do love. I love being out there in the vines and, you know, I used to name the rose and <laughs> I'm a bit strange. I'm very strange, but I love to be busy. <laughs> and, uh, it was I just love the challenge, I think. Um, and it's always good to be comparing year to year and then when you see them out in the bottle and you can see one vintage, you can remember the vintage and see what it tastes like. You really can taste the difference vintage to vintage, I think, especially um, from climates like ours. 
Yeah. And talking about that, is it 29 years of vintage experience you've had? Is that right? Yes. 29 vintages. You make me sound old. (laughs) (laughs) No, wise. Wise is what I was going for. Wise, okay. (laughs) Is there a particular vintage that really stands out in your mind, whether it be for better or for worse, or a particular year that that, that stands out in your mind as being one that's really memorable? Yeah, I do have a few. So there's, you know, some bad years. I know that, you know, 1998, which is why we went into winemaking and 2004 is why we didn't disgorge our 2001. So, you know, there was a couple of key moments that made us learn from that and all we did was realise we'd made the right decisions even though it was only because of financials. Um, Great years were 2001 and 2019. I think both of those are absolutely outstanding years. Um, Really looking, we haven't even released our 2019 yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. But um, you know, every year is different for different reasons, um, but those those ones are the most ones that stand out in my mind. And hopefully 2022. <laughs> I hope I can remember this one very fondly. Uh, you're definitely due for an exceptional year, that's for sure. Cathy, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. uh, your mission was to create a gathering place for family and friends. Do you believe you've been successful in that? And, and what do you kind of hope that you, you leave behind in, in your time for the future generations? Well, Kurubara means um, family gathering meeting place in Aboriginal. That's what the district is, our little township, and I believe that is exactly what we've done. I mean, we see it every single day we're open is families coming together, people meeting up, and it, I'm really, really proud that people love to come here and experience that. I love it. Um, I think to leave in the future, I think it's to someone to remember that there's um, there was a little grey-haired old lady that loved doing what she was doing <laughs> because, um, you know, we named the place after our neighbour because she said no one would remember her. She was born and bred here and, you know, that's something that's very special to me and I'm hoping that one day someone will remember me for the same things. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh, we've never even met, but I just want to give you like a virtual hug over the <laughs> phone. <laughs> over the phone. Um, we have so many wonderful regions, especially in New South Wales, but all throughout Australia. What do you think um, if someone's travelling out to Tumbarumba, what can they look forward to as a visitor there? Well, if you like nature-based activities, we have got so much. I mean, we used to have the beautiful sugar pine walk that um, was nearly 100-year-old and that got burnt in the fires, which was absolutely tragic. But we've got plenty of other things to see and do. We've, the, the families um, that you meet are always so welcoming. All the businesses always say hello. You know, that's when you know a stranger's around when they don't say hello. So if you're walking down the street, anybody, if they're a local, will say g'day, wave their finger, nod their head as you're walking past, whether they know you or not. Um, And you go into any business and they're always very welcoming. And I think that, you know, that's what a lot of people say when they come. They just feel like it's, it's clean, it's fresh. And everybody's so, so nice. And we've got some absolutely beautiful businesses around now. So it's great. To be a family-run business and for doing what you have for so long, what is the kind of, what's the heart and soul of Kurabaira in terms of running a business? What, what's important to you and how do you keep your, your team together, particularly through harder years? Well, I believe all my staff and my family, every one of them, I, you know, the, their families, I always tell them family comes first. If I can't come to work because of the family or something, that's the most important thing. We will always manage, even though this weekend we didn't. <laughs> We're too busy. But we always say their families come first and they are always accepted as part of our family. 
Um, we try to treat them that way. I think um, everyone works really hard and are very dedicated to doing a really good job. So the business, I think, has grown. You know, we've got 17 staff now and every single one of them, uh, you know, does an amazing job, puts in, and, and they all seem to love it most days. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's just like leading by example too because I, I will do whatever job needs to be done, you know. I wash dishes most of the time or, or cook or do wine. It doesn't really matter. I don't care what I do. I just um, love hearing people laughing. That's what you can hear a lot. And I love seeing people having a great time. So, And going home not hungry and taking wine out the door always puts a smile on my face. <laughs> I bet the simple things. Uh, it sounds like you've created a really sacred place um, at Kurabira uh, in Tumbarumba, and I, I can't wait till I can head down um, and stop by the cellar door, which I've heard so much about. Um, but when you're in your happy place and you've got your loved one loved ones gathered around, what are you drinking? If you have to have, you're having a glass of something. What are those three drinks that you would love to drink for the rest of your life? Well, I have to say bubbles because you know that's always been what I think life is about celebrating so I love to have champagne or Australian sparkling mainly but my first choice would be Aras um, from Tasmania because I absolutely adore Ed Carr I think he's the best sparkling winemaker there is in the world Um, he does an amazing wine so that is one of them Um, and then I'd say the cuvee consult so um, that is by Peter Baverstock in South Australia. She's an amazing sparkling winemaker as well, and she does some beautiful um, rosé sparklings, and I love hers. And then I'd have to say 805 hours because I've got so much that I can just drink at any time I like. So <laughs> somebody's got to drink it, and if it has to be me, it's me. I always said if we went into farming and, and all the um, things went wrong, imagine having to eat all your cattle. But at least if you're in winemaking, what you do is you can sit back and drink all your wine. So we're better off. <laughs> that is an incredible comparison. And it says exactly what you want it to say. I know. What would you rather? <laughs> now that you've put that out into the world, you may have a little bit less 805 rosé to drink because uh, I certainly know I try to get as much as I can in into key that I can possibly have. So, um, gosh, it's been so lovely catching up with you, Kathy. Um, I think that, you know, Tumbarumba should be a place name that all wine lovers hold in really high regard. Um, it's got a very, very bright future. Um, and I've absolutely loved talking to you today. So thank you so much for spending your time with me. Um, it's been inspiring and uh, I hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you, Shantae. You're welcome and lovely to speak to you as well. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.